Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingle. Um, and she was in up in Rome, New York, and I met her at one of the meetings. I, I went up there by myself. She was one of their top meters. She actually wrote a book about this whole whole process, which you can buy on Amazon. Uh, but she told me afterwards, I met her again like three years ago, that the grocery program was one of the few things that actually worked in their, in their system because buying clubs, this um, may mean something to other to some of the people, listeners, or may not. But buying clubs work on usage rates. Like Costco today, they actually count on a significant percentage of people that buy memberships, but they actually don't go in and use use their service. They actually lose money when you walk back into a Costco. It's a very complicated understanding of usage. Just about every business has it uh, built into it to somewhat degree, but Purchase power was only 3%. The 97% of their customers never used it, where with the grocery program, we had a super high usage rate because you buy cornflakes, you use them up, and you buy more. That's why it's a consumable. That's part of the reason it was a hit with the consumers. Um, you know, with the, But the, the meeting screwed up thousands of people. And we went across the country, myself, Keith Ranieri, uh, and Noah Furman, the, the president of Purchase Power, uh, being the guest at the meetings and putting on presentations, and I never, ever changed my story with the cornflakes. Uh, wow. I, I maybe added to it, added more consumerism. Uh, my personality, like I'm a free enterprise-based uh, no, uh, person that believes that business can solve the problems. And I loved home-based business because I knew that we were changing people's lives. Um, and there was there's some interesting things about Keith. He was always there's always a group of people around him, um, and at these big meetings you couldn't see him unless you had an appointment. And where I would end up at the hotel, uh, out at the lounge, and 30, 40, 50 distributors around there asking questions and talking to me, you would have to go see him in the presidential suite by appointment only, uh, including me. And I would spend most of those nights after the meetings talking to distributors where he would talk to one or two. And that'll be it. You know, with it but it was an incredible time. So in in reference to that that's you share with us the phenomenal growth. Um, then what happened when and by the way when you mentioned C B I that stands for consumer what does that stand for? Consumer Byline. Consumers Byline. Yeah, Consumers Byline Inc. Got it. Okay. And then I know, or I think I know, that he had some problems with the government related to that. So were you around when those things were going on as well? Right. So um, we, we, uh, my company graduated into a full blown pick and pack warehouse. We were buying direct. we solved the out-of-stock issue. You always had something out-of-stock for some reason. 
but it improved our fill rate dramatically, um, which helped the growth. Uh, and uh, then out of the blue, I get a phone call from Keith. Apparently, it was his father. I can't verify that or not. Um, was, was supposed to be involved with mergers and acquisitions, saying, Fred, what you do is the easiest thing in the world to do. How hard is it to ship people cornflakes? We'll pay you $50,000 for your company. We can do this on our own. We'll put you in charge. And I go, wait a second, you have no idea. Um, I had one of the only profitable home grocery delivery services in the country. And we're growing like crazy. Um, you don't understand how this model works. So that phone call deteriorated to, well, we're just going to go and do this because this is so easy. Now, the original Harvest America was started with $60 on my kitchen table. That's, and that was for the DBA to create Harvest America. And we just did a lot of uh, work ourselves and had talented people to create the catalog that were owners. In the business, we bought our first computer with a Sears credit card. You could back then, you could actually go to a Sears stores that sold nothing but computers at the time. Um, but in case, so as this started deteriorating, uh, we decided after discussing with counsel that these guys, this is what I was hearing rumors that there was legal issues happening with them, um, and some of them pretty bad. Um, and we got a call from the attorney general in New York, because we're based in New York, saying that we want to talk to you. Uh, my partner, Vinnie Siefel, went to that meeting, and we turned state evidence uh, because they were sending out letters about how bad we were as a business. They meaning um, who? CBI? CBI. CBI okay. and their distributors and forum lovers. That's the way it, it was done back then. Uh, and we told them how the setup was done, and we terminated our agreement with CBI, which such it was a handshake. Um, so they said, well, hey, this is really easy. We'll just do it ourselves. Now, to, to give you a point of growth at the time, the, the whole system was growing at 30,000 new customers a month. Holy cow. We were, the first year, the first 12 months was 100,000. By the end of the second year, 30,000 a month. And but I knew I said, listen, I think I could save this. Let, if I can get Keith in a in a room someplace, say, you know, this is really blessed. What's happening here? And and having this type of growth is a gift. We all worked hard. We could be bigger than Amway ever was. And um, couldn't get the meetings up. The people around him just blocked them off from anybody. So we terminated the agreement, uh, and uh, which was 100% of our customers, by the way, doing that. And they turned around and said, hey, Fred was doing it all wrong. We're going to build our own called gross, uh, Byline Groceries. So they turned around and went to the big people in the food industry, set up a warehouse. For what I understand, in early 90s money, 91, they spent – I need to excuse me. They spent sixteen million. I spent sixty, uh, and they added shipping. They raised the price of the groceries, and it was about as big a bomb as you could lay. And now, getting it, getting it back to the state of New York, uh, 
as I, I was starting to learn in bits and pieces, there was 12 or so attorney generals going after him, uh, mainly because of people were selling, signing up for CBI as it was an investment. All they got to do is, even though it was only, I think they raised it to 39 or $49, uh, sign up. It's an investment for your future. You don't have to do anything because it's a matrix will spill over and make you rich. Well, they got out on tape, the attorney generals in several states, and um, they went after them. For because we know today you can't say, even today you can't say that. Investments, uh, you, 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 the only time you could say that is that you're investing time in that type of way. You can't say your money or the act of signing up. So, um, from what I understand from Tony Natalia, who was really part of that whole thing, she told me that they flew to Washington with Keith Frenary, uh and spoke to the lawyers, and they said, listen, there's a way out of this for you. You have to pay a fine, uh, $50,000 fine, make these minor changes to your compensation plan, and you're good to your planning, and you're good to go. Um, so what happened on the flight back, Plane was quiet. Keith got up and says, "I'm not doing this because I'm right. I'm the, I have the highest IQ in the world. I'm not going to do it. Uh, you don't do that." So they made they made an agreement with the regulators, and then he basically reneged on that agreement because he's smarter than everybody essentially, else. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like flat turned it turned it down. Wow. Uh, so they got shut down about. Uh, I guess late 92, early 93, uh, and uh, uh, and then he disappeared. I, I never saw him until 1999 when I was in a supermarket and going by the Magnus magazine stand, and on the front cover of Forbes was Keith Frenary's face, and the title of it was The Most Unusual Consultant in the World. Uh, yeah, it was devastating because I uh, – when this happened, I lost 100% of my revenue um, at a brand-new facility, trained employees. We tried to, at the time, find another resource. I never at that time said, well, Fred, why don't you just do it yourself? I was looking for another direct selling company to do it. And uh, But what was interesting from that is that when I we decided, okay, it's not working, let's just close this up. As we made that decision that same day, I get a call from – uh, an attorney, a well-known attorney in our industry, says, Fred, there's a company that needs you to build a grocery program here in Las Vegas. So as we were packing up that facility and closing it, I flew out to Las Vegas and built a facility there, ended up building a facility in Boise, Idaho, built a facility in Boulder, Colorado, which is a natural food center, and built one in Scottsdale, built one in Detroit, and that went on for 24 years. So I actually launched a career in doing direct-to-consumer home delivery of groceries under different names, different locations, uh, still very futuristic. Um, there was a lot of home delivery happening in the late 90s. Uh, matter of fact, one company was called Webvan, raised a billion dollars in an IPO, and they burned through a billion in 12 months. Jeez. Because they were, they were doing local delivery, so they would build these seventy thousand dollar, excuse me, seventy million dollar warehouses, 
$70,000 delivery truck to do cold, you know, refrigerated, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they all missed the model. They all didn't understand what made the consumer get excited about getting home delivered. And it was that combination of a home-based business, being able to get products they actually could use, not replace in their house. If I like Tide, I can buy Tide, you know, and it's cheaper. Uh, and having a subscription-based model that's effective and cost-effective for the consumer, kind of like today's Netflix. People, they would weigh the subscription fee, pass the services, and that makes sense. You don't have to have a powwow in the family to make a decision about it. You just do it, um, which was really exciting. And, and and it wasn't until I was doing that, moving my family, raised my family. Uh, girls graduated from high school here in Arizona. They're now married and everything, but made a living at it, doing delivery up to 2012 when Amazon uh, in Phoenix built their largest facility in the world. And then they launched their non-perishable grocery program where they started shipping cornflakes to people's homes. And if you remember, Amazon has an affiliate program. They have a subscription-based program. So it had, uh, I would say, two and a half of the three legs you need to be super successful. Not uh, Having said they, they are successful, but when you get to a point when you have so much money, you can afford to lose $100 million a year and still be in business, um, you know, with that type of, uh, business model. So I'm grateful for it, and, and I'm still active today um, working on what the future is going to be in the grocery industry, um, and that's what Grocery Bit is all about, and we're still in the early stages of that development to do that, but uh, that's how it got started. It got started with a, a, a letter I got in the mail. Somebody was pitching something, sent them a letter, and uh, they called me back. Not called me back, they called me. And I tell people that was a, I think letters were 17 cents then to mail or some really stupid amount of money. And leads were always like that. You just don't know when you meet somebody what may happen. You just don't know. And uh, so that little letter turned into a $100 million company. Wow, that is truly amazing. So on the Ranieri side, there's people that are naturally kind of curious about, you know, like you had mentioned, the guy was supposedly the smartest man in the world, the genius at this. I think he knew Kung Fu at like three. You know, he was a magnet for personality, probably had brain power. Uh, tell us about the, the man. Um, and, and were there any indications that he was kind of eccentric and maybe even the sex slave? kind of thing? Were, in, were there any indications along the way? Uh, the, the only uh, uh, unusual things that we picked up, obviously he had a strange personality. People would approach him like they're meeting the emperor, uh, uh, which is common in network marketing. Usually the founders are put up on a pedestal, uh, but it was worse uh, in, in this situation because they're not like they're kissing the Pope's ring because he theoretically is the has the highest IQ. Now, what I found out years later, later is that IQ mark came from, he actually took a home-based test where they would mail you the test for the IQ test. You would fill it out by yourself, 
and then send it back in. That tells you anything. And it wow. ended up being in the Guinness Book of Records in Australia. Nothing ever after that, but there's no way to I, – I didn't know it was Australia. So there's no way to track it down. Um, you know, so that truth came out when I talked to, to Tony, Natalia, afterwards, that, that she found that out. Um, and then some of these other things – like, he got started in Amway around the same time I did. He was a little bit younger than me, um, and he used some of his Amway techniques when he launched CBI, um, you know, that. But during that time, I didn't know where he lived in Clifton Park. Uh, there was like a – wasn't suburbia for like a like we would think a, a, a HOA is, like here in Arizona or something. Uh, it was houses and everybody had backyards and the backyards were connected and everything. Well, at the time, I mean, he was like running around having affairs with teenagers there that lived in the neighborhood. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that, but uh, when I thought back at some of the people, some of the, the people helping, well, actually they were running the company for him. They were all women. I think I met one guy. There's nothing wrong with that because most of Harvest America was made up of women in the office, uh, and they all did their jobs because they were the best at doing the jobs. That's how I hire people. It doesn't matter your color or race. It don't matter. Do the job. That's what you get. You do the job. You know, I want your enthusiasm, et cetera, in doing it. There was really something kind of strange in, in their kind of customer service here where all the computers work. They had what, and I never heard this term until, my, uh, uh, until it was mentioned to me. They say, yeah, we have a sneaker network. Now, at the time, Harvest America's computer systems were all tied together in a network. Um, everybody was talking to each other in, you know, in the office, all the stuff to do the ordering and customer service and invoicing. Um, and I go, so what's a sneaker network? He said, well, we go to one of the computers, this one over here, we copy it, we, put it, we insert a hard drive, not a hard drive, but a disk, copy it, and then we run as fast as we can to the next computer, copy the information into that computer, and then we run to the next one. And that's a sneaker network. It wasn't networked. It was networked by, by somebody wearing sneakers. Wow. And, and it, that's a, that, when I was mentioned to me, it was one of the things they were like, is um, this guy is so smart. Um, why is this happening? Right. You know, that when, uh, when, when you said a little bit earlier about uh, he was having an affair with teenagers, I mean, if you're 18, that's okay. I don't know if it's 17 is okay. If you're 13, that's not good. So what kind of teenagers was he having these affairs with that you had heard about? For, yeah, for, for what I understand, starting at like 13, 14. Wow. Okay. So it was bad. Not, okay. So definitely bad. <laughs> not not good. We're not talking about 18. Yeah, this is along with, yeah, and this is along with just, you know, women his age and older or whatever. Right. Um, it, 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 the same. Uh, I just didn't know about it because private because we were two hours away, our office. So we usually when we were done, you know, we were driving back. Maybe we'd have dinner together. And that was the other thing. It was he was a vegetarian. There, theoretically, it set his mind, as he put it. Uh, yeah, I remember one trip. We went to Amarillo, Texas. You know, heart heartland of where beetle cat, uh, beef cattle are raised, and we did the meeting. Uh, and then we went out to dinner, just our staff, and they had cowboy boots as the centerpiece of the dining room 
where we're eating, and, you know, everybody was getting steaks, except they had, he got some weird bean platter thing to it. So that was a little weird, you know, to see that, because I, I, I've had friends that are vegetarian, but he was, like, over the top with it. So every meal had to be arranged for him. And when you're traveling, you got to think, again, this is 91 now. It wasn't as common as it is today at all. I mean, it, at all. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, it was peculiar. We just put up with it because the guy's weird. But we thought it was because he was so smart. Um, this is an interesting, this is, again, this recently happened. Tony said that she asked him, during that period, said, Keith, you're so smart. Why don't you use your your intellect to cure cancer instead of running a multi-level company? And he didn't have an answer. He just turned away and walked away. And uh, Tony, and, uh, Tony, this gal was Tony his was, girlfriend as well. Right. For nine years, she lived with him for nine years from that 90, 91, all the way up to 99. When ne- ne- that's what I saw his picture on Forbes. That's when Nexium was started. Uh, at the same time, that's when she left. That's when it, they started DOS, that whole inner group of women. But what their product was were seminars. You know, to right. get you know their ESP uh, program. ESP exactly right, and, and they uh, attracted some really well-known people and and actresses and that sort of thing, and they would be the recruiters. I mean, this was tens of thousands of people that would come to these expensive seminars, but that was the gateway to, you you really want to know what it's about? You know, and and if Keith was at that seminar, which he usually was, he was introduced as Vanguard. Not Keith Renary, he was Vanguard. And that's what it gets. Did you ever meet – I know um, I mentioned a little bit earlier FrankReport.com, which is a gentleman who really is focused on this whole Nexium thing. Did you ever meet Frank Parlato, or were you ever around when Roger Stone allegedly was a consultant or any of that sort of stuff, or is that after you? That, that, uh, that happened without me paying attention. I, I didn't pay attention to any of it because uh, after the Forbes thing – um, I said, oh, that's really interesting. I guess he found a way to make a living. Then I started reading stories through the years about what was going on. Because for the first couple of years, not much leaked out. Um, uh, because like any cult, um, they pull you in by you have to confess something, some dark secret of yours, like an affair or something like that. And you have to provide evidence of it. And then once you turn that over to one of the Nexium members, they would use that to keep you from leaving. This is very traditional in a cult, being here in Arizona. You have Sedona. You hear this stuff all the time. It's the first major step they do is they try to keep you from leaving, and the way to keep you from leaving is to have some evidence about you that's so bad you don't want it to leak. And that's when some powerful people started getting more involved that wanted to leave, and his little blips and pieces started getting out in the press um, um, about it. But I, I found out about Frank after um, I, uh, I read a blog about Tony, and that and her history went back to the CBI days, and just called her out of the blue. 
and her reaction, because she was working, this is before she published her book, she was starting to go to the trials uh, in New York City, and she goes, Fred, why? And I go, yeah. She says, no one knows what happened to you. So there was a complete, got to remember, living within the cult itself, which has already started, I guess, um, at, at that time, there was no news getting in and out. So people lived in a vacuum. I mean, literally lived in a vacuum there. Um, so they they didn't know what happened with me. And I said, well, essentially after it was over, I decided to start working on it. It's a great idea. How far can I take the concept of, of Harvest America? And went to Harvest America 2, Grocery Club, all these things through the years under different names. And I ended up making a career out of it because it was a valid idea. Matter of fact, what would we again? What would we do today during a pandemic without coast-to-coast home delivery of groceries and store pickup? Absolutely. We'd be out of luck. Yep. You know, without within, a doubt. And it's, it's just that I was 24 years ahead of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, without a doubt. I, I tend to be there, but they were surprised I was okay. Uh, but I told her I don't want to be. In, she wanted to write a whole section in the book. I said, leave me out of the book for now. Let's see what happens with the trial. Um, you know, maybe something else can be written about Harvest America. We can do something else at some other point. Um, and uh, she agreed and honored that. She had a uh, sub – it wasn't Frank. Uh, I'm aware of all Frank's articles. Um, and so I never communicated him, with him. But there was a, uh, another – oh, I'll tell you who it is. He, there's a reporter uh, in upstate New York because of where all this stuff was most most of the time. His name was Chet Harden. Chet Harden, C-H-E-T-H-A-R-D-I-N. And he's a, um, a writer, and he has things published in a lot of the publications in upstate New York. And obviously they were curious. He was curious uh, about the whole thing because there was lots of money, lots of gray, what I call gray money, moving around and affected a lot of lives. Um, and it got so weird during Nexium where, I mean, they had women branded with his, branded with his initials. Um, that was the DOS group. It just got weird. So it affected a lot of this. Almost, uh, I would say every business with the exception of me, even though I closed that original company, literally as I was starting a new one, it got me started on a career path that did well for my wife and myself and our family and, and others, um, all the other, there was like this, Tony told all these other businesses that got wrecked uh, from the whole thing. Uh, yeah. And the funny part, the way Keith got away with it, he never signed anything in his own name. Thank you. You've been listening to Building Fortunes Radio on buildingfortunesradio.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for the designated Building Fortunes Radio segment with Peter Mingle. Be sure to check out the buildingfortunesradio.com website for our featured segments. It's been our privilege to have you listen in. At Building Fortunes Radio, we wish you the success you deserve and are willing to work for. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world.